Hello, my name is Andrew Harrison and I'm here with Andy Mayer. Hello Andy, how are you doing? Good afternoon, I'm well, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. So we wanted to welcome everyone to this very first edition of something new and different from Mayer Brownsod, a podcast. Uh, it's a short bit of audio that you can play on your phone or your computer through your Alexa-style speaker at home, whatever audio setup you like, whenever you like whether you're cooking the tea or walking the dog. And the idea is that I'm going to ask Andy a few pertinent questions on behalf of the company's friends and wider family, including myself, because I've been one of Andy's clients for about 10 years. We wanted to dig into these interesting times for the economy and see what they mean for investors. But Andy, first up, why did you want to do a podcast? I think, Andrew, we've done videos, we've done newsletters, we've done seminars, we've done bits of everything that we think would work. But I started my professional life as a teacher and we thought we'd try a different medium just to see if it helped people in a different format that they could just listen to at a different time of the night. And we thought it'd be quite interesting for people to listen to. So for this first edition, then, we thought we, could, we should concentrate on the immediate financial scenario because it's so unprecedented and kind of unsettling. I mean, the first question on everybody's mind is, how serious a situation is this for investors and for people who are looking out for their retirement? I don't think we can underestimate what's gone on just financially and then really importantly, health-wise, because there's people listening to this podcast who might have lost loved ones. So that, at the first and foremost, that's been the tragic, the loss of life. But when we then go back to the economic issues, I think it's proved that the need for people to have rainy day money, emergency funding. We've always talked about in the past having three to six months rainy day money, but I think COVID's made us all realise that maybe six months is the minimum we should have. And we need to make sure we've got money in, in emergency funds such as national savings or banks that is six to 12 months. I think the long term implications are that some people may have to lower their income expectations that are in retirement. And some people who are looking to retirement may have to postpone retirement six to 12 months or reduce their working life from maybe five to four and four to three in the short term until the consequences of COVID are fully understood. Have we ever seen an economic hit like this before? I mean, is, is, is what's happening purely related to the virus or has corona kind of perhaps exposed some fundamentals in the economy that we hadn't really looked properly at? We'd had an amazing run since 2010 with markets around the world. So there was due a correction, but COVID threw a curveball that nobody really see, saw coming. In 1968 in the UK, we had the flu pandemic. And the FTSE at the end of January in 1969 stood at 180 points. And by uh, a year later, it dropped by over 36% to just over 114. By the end of 1972, the FTSE had risen almost 100% at its peak. So what we have seen is something in the UK like this before. And a lot of the Asian countries are used to Ebola and SARS and different pandemics that have hit. This is the first time the world has really seen a pandemic that's affected all of the world economically. So under normal circumstances, when there's a crash in one part of the world, you expect there to be ways of investing elsewhere in the world or other parts of the world will lead the economic recovery that brings everybody else kind of back to, if not where they were, then into some form of recovery. But as it's happening simultaneously across the planet right now, does that lead you to give different kinds of advice? Because ordinarily you might say, oh, move it to move it to South America, move it to North America, move it to emerging markets. One of the realities of this pandemic is that it's affected the whole world. So this isn't just a European problem or an American problem 
or a Chinese problem. It's affected globally every economy. So the reality is governments will borrow from each other and hopefully there'll be common sense approach taken in the simple fact that if all countries owe each other money, there's not going to be anyone desperately looking for the money back on the short term. As was explained to me on an excellent seminar, governments around the world have got two concerns at the moment. One, finding the cure for COVID and two, keeping the economies going. How this debt will be repaid in the future, none of us know. So let's let's bring this back to individual people. I mean, obviously, everybody's personal situation is different. Are there general things we should all be thinking about right now? Because, you know, the, the normal reaction of the times like this is you might be able to think, oh, well, perhaps it's at least a good time to buy, you know, traditional buy low stuff. Are there things we should all be bearing in mind right about now? COVID and the economic downturn has proved that one, like I said earlier, you need rainy day money. And two, no one can see what's coming. So when you've got an investment, whether it's a pension, an ISA or a bond, you need to have a spread of assets. So whether that's government bonds, corporate bonds such as John Lewis, stocks and shares, if you've got a well-balanced portfolio, they react better than if you're just sat in one investment. Are there classes of corporate bond that you kind of think the way the world is changing now, you know, which, which are the ones that you consider to be a strong place to go? I'd be recording this from the Cayman Islands, Bermuda, if I could tell you what was going to happen. <laughs> because <laughs> nobody saw this and no one's prepared for it. No one can tell you what is going to happen in the future. By spreading it around, so areas that are looking quite favourable at the moment are emerging market corporate debt. Korea looks good. Germany looks good. Parts of the UK market look good. Obviously, some technology stocks look good. But the reality is we're going to come out of this in different countries, in different ways, and with different formulas of how we get out. So having a spread across a lot of the assets reduces your risk. And the reality is, Andrew, most people, when they're investing money, you want to invest it in an area that gets you better than banks and better than inflation but you also want the downside protection. And most of the portfolios are built with an element of downside. Even the adventurous ones will have exposure to corporate bonds, fixed interest, cash. So this limits their losses. So we often read in the papers or see these odd little adverts in the corner of the internet saying, buy gold now, gold is safe, gold is the place to go. Is this historically true? And is it true now? As you said earlier, certain assets work in correlation to each other. So when we see an equity decline, people rush for gold. But at the moment, to be buying gold now is probably eight to 12 weeks too late. And also, when you're buying an investment, too many people think they can, out, they can outsmart the market. The reality is when you buy something as an investment, whether it's a house or an equity, whether it's a shell share or whether it's a gold piece of gold or an investment in gold, You've really got to take a long-term perspective of 10 years. So if you're going to buy into a gold fund today, you should be looking at the next decade, 2030, to its release. Too many people, I think, have got caught out by adverts where you can day trade and make a fortune. And the reality is day trading is a specialist market. The best example I can give you is that the MSC European Index from 2002 to 2017, which was a 15-year period, averaged just over 4.35% net. If you took out the best 10 days, the return dropped by a staggering 70%. So 10 days out of 15 years, if you miss that market, your return dropped by over 70%. If you miss the best 50 days of trading, 
you were out in the markets for those 50 days, over 15 years, you actually lost money. So the reality is when we put, you look at an investment, no one would have said in January this year that COVID would have the dramatic impact it would have. So buying an asset is about buying it for a long time. I've always taught investment is about time in the market, not timing the market, but time in the market. And the 2020 experience we've had in the first half of the year is one of the better examples for that, that if you plan for the future and invest money, it needs a 10-year perspective. So on the 2nd of January, the FTSE closed at 7,604.3. And as I'm recording now, I've just checked it, 6,232 at the start of June. How have our portfolios done in relation to the FTSE, which has registered an unsurprising (laughs) fall? Even the adventurous portfolios have performed better which sounds a strange way to say on a losing market, because when you put together a portfolio, unless people have got a million pound plus, you have to balance even the portfolios when when people are adventurous with fixed interest, with some cash, with some commercial debt, with some corporate debt, with some low levels of risk. Because when this happens and these sorts of crashes, whilst they're worrying when you're in them are not unusual, we tend to get one every seven to nine years. So this isn't unusual. And bizarrely, the FTSE hasn't dropped as far as it did, or as low as it did, during the global financial crisis. Right. So it's actually not doing, uh, in proportion, it's not done as badly as it did in 2008. No. And that's that's one of the strangest, I think, factors of this, that when you looked at the global financial crisis, you realised how devastating that was. But the markets have not dropped as far yet. The UK market has rebounded quite well, but the Dow has actually performed significantly better than the UK because of the structure of how the Dow is made up. The UK has had a bigger drop because about a quarter of the UK's mark FTSE, I think it's 22% to be exact, is made up of banks. Their share prices have dropped and under pressure from the regulator, they're not paying out dividends. But I don't think we'll see, especially in the UK, the real impact of COVID until later this year when the furloughing scheme ends. And there's been an awful lot of government money thrown at individuals and businesses. You mentioned furloughing. I mean, the government has taken on eye-watering commitments in terms of quantitative easing, you know, furloughing, covering um, salaries, all kinds of things. Do we yet have a vision of how the government is going to pay this off? or rather how we are going to pay this off because the money's going to come from us. I think the government are concerned with finding a cure for COVID and keeping the economy going. I think they'll work that out next year. Personally, I think the triple lock on state pensions will have to be removed. There might be a slight increase in VAT. My personal choice would be that I think they'll move state pension age along because it's an invisible tax. Because if you increase national insurance or you increase personal tax, people won't be spending money and they're desperate for people to spend money. On top of you know a possible change in, in pension age, do you think this is going to affect pensions in general? Because obviously pensions are drawn from investment. Pensions are, pensions are intrinsically dependent on the health of the economy and the performance of the economy. I think people's fund values have dropped. This sounds quite an ironic thing to say, but because people are at home and they're not spending a lot of money because there's not a lot of money, there's not a place you can go. The greatest tip we gave people in the global financial crisis was to keep on investing because 
whilst in January you might have held a thousand units and they were worth a pound each, and today you own a thousand units that might be worth 90 pence each. If you can go and buy more units now, you're buying at a discount, and it's about pound cost averaging, keeping on buying in the units. But the reality is some people are going to come out of this financially distressed, without jobs, will have high unemployment. So undoubtedly, the knock-on impact will be that some people's retirement income will have less coming in what they thought, or they might look at not being able to fully retire, and they might have to work three days a week. And it will be a different financial landscape when we come out. Is it possible then, just in closing, to say what is a kind of a sufficient amount of savings to have on average to retire? What can, what should you be looking at, irrespective of the current financial circumstances? There is a great expression that you need, you have two levels of income. What is your basic level of income? So what do you need on a day-to-day basis to live on? So you're heating your electricity, whether you've got rent or a mortgage when you retire, and your basic living costs of food, council tax, And then what's your desired levels? How often do you want to go out? How often do you want to go on holiday? And if you take, if you work that out and then you look at your state pension, sometimes people save way too much and they cannot spend it because the reality is in retirement, when people get to the late 80s, they're not spending a great deal. But what you don't want to do is face old age with insufficient income when your health, whether that's physical or mental, will not allow you to work. There isn't a one-size-fits-all. It's very much about what people's lifestyle is like and what their needs and what they how they see their retirement. There's a lot to chew on there, and I think these things are going to come back at week after week, aren't they? As the as the situation evolves and as new stuff uh, you know comes on the horizon. Well, that's the end of this first edition of It's Your Money, the Mayor Brownsword podcast. Obviously, we've only skirted the surface of what's really going on, but we hope you've uh, found it interesting. We'll be back next week with another look at these strange economic times and how to make them work for you. If you're a podcast expert, remember you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favourite podcasts, whatever app you use. Otherwise, Andy's going to email you a link to the podcast every Friday. Andy, good to talk to you. What, what are you going to do now? What's that, how are you going to take your mind off the current circumstances? Andrew, I'm going to go home and go for a bike ride in the lovely sun and just relax. There you go. You see, some things are free. <laughs> the best things. <laughs> they always are. Good to talk to you, Andy. See you next week. Cheers, Andrew. Bye now.